Before we get started, please note there's some adult language in this episode. If you've got kids in the area or are playing this around coworkers, you might want to listen later. Welcome to the Behavioral Grooves podcast. My name is Tim Houlihan. In this regrooving episode, we are resharing the grooving session, only the grooving session, that followed Kurtz and my conversation with Annie Duke, author and poker champion extraordinaire. Truly one of our favorite episodes. That means that in this episode, you won't hear the conversation with Annie. To hear that, you'll need to check out our podcast called Leaving the Matrix. There you can enjoy all of Annie's insights and enthusiasm firsthand. This episode is just the grooving session after we spoke with Annie. It's about 30 minutes long and includes comments Kurt and I made about Annie, as well as our observations on loss aversion, goal setting, accountability coaches, nudge fest, Lila Gleitman's contributions to the English dictionary, listening to or not listening to music while we're doing other tasks, and Alex Chilton's impact on musical literature. Also, Kurt and I want to let you know that we have instituted the thinking in probabilities approach in our conversations with each other and with our respective clients. We encourage you to give it a try. And speaking of probabilities, we believe that you're at least 87% likely to jump onto your favorite podcatcher and give Behavioral Grooves a positive review. Thanks in advance for your support. Now, our grooving session on Annie Duke. Welcome to our grooving session, where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our Behavioral Grooves interview, have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics, and whatever else comes into our now too full of information and vodka heads. <laughs> Still on the vodka thing, huh? The vodka thing, I, yes. I, I say that as if, as if I'm accusatory. <laughs> I'm, I, I, as I recall, I actually kind of went there. I and, think you did. I think you were the one who led us down that rabbit hole. Oh, man, because vodka is so good. <laughs> I don't know. Just I'm, like, you know, I'm more of a beer guy, but still, that's okay. Okay, so, right. uh, so tribes. Tribes. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think we have a lot to talk about in this grooving session. <laughs> I think <laughs> we do, too. You that right There's now. a lot of information there. Well, as, as we talked about when I first heard Annie on another podcast, I had listened to that podcast and wrote two and a half pages of notes. And so hopefully our <laughs> yeah. listeners were able to take two and a half, maybe even three pages of notes from this. But I know in reviewing it, I, I took a lot out of this. So. I took a lot of notes while we were doing the interview. <laughs> it was so great. It, it was. It was. It was. So tribes. Tri yeah. Good or evil? Oh, man. Both, right? Yeah. Right? Both. And they are, what did she say, yanking us around. What was, yeah. what was her quote? We are not even aware of how much the tribe is yanking us around. Yeah, that is so great. That is so great. Our environment is so heavily influenced by the tribe. Well, and it's it also gets around to like who is doing the talking and how much we believe. Again, to her point, going back to, hey, if I am now not a member of your tribe, but I am an expert in, what was he? She Sa sautéing fish. Sautéing fish. Right. That should have no impact Zero. On, Zero. on how much information I can get from you about sautéing a fish. And yet, we don't operate that way. We operate, well, she's not part of our tribe. I don't trust her. So I don't trust how she sautés a fish, even if she's the renowned expert in it. I mean, you think about actors and actresses and how some people like them or don't like them based on their political affiliation 
regardless of how good or bad an actor or actress they are. Right. Are they entertaining? Do they do their job well? Right. Which has nothing to do with political affiliation. And you, you think even looking at some of the consumer product boycotts that are going out there, again, we're doing this in uh, end of September, and that was just the whole Nike, Colin Kaepernick, yeah. you know, just do it uh, theme, and all of the people burning their their Nikes, while others are going out and buying more Nikes because now, oh, Nike's part of our trip. Where a business becomes part of your tribe or not part of your tribe. Your brands become your part of your tribe. Your brands become yeah. part of that that tribe, and they're just trying to get more money from us. Are you an Android or an iOS user? Yeah. Are you a, are you a Mac or a, a you know a, a non Mac? Basically, yeah. you know these these are tribal. Dif- these can be tribal differences yeah. that ca- are really so minuscule. And <laughs> really, they don't. What, what does it represent that that I'm I'm more one product than another? Really, what does it mean? Yeah, I I thought it was interesting when we talked about the, how that tribe is yanking us around, and it brought up this uh, element that I had remembered from. Uh, I think it was a graduation speech in Kentucky, uh, and I looked it up afterwards. So it's Ben Bowling's graduation speech. And so it was really, he just did it. Uh, he was the he, victali- val- valedictorian, valedictorian of the and class. And he came right? up and, and he talked right. about, oh, I Googled some quotes that I liked. And then he gave this quote, and he attributed it to John, Donald Trump. And the crowd cheered. Oh, yay. And then he says, oh, wait, oh, wait. I'm, I'm sorry, that was actually Obama. And then there was silence, and actually some people actually booed. Yeah. The exact same quote, the exact same information that when it was attributed to one person got a cheer, and yes, he's in my tribe, this is right, this is good. And when it was then attributed to somebody who was in the other tribe and potentially even the leader of the other, other tribe, that same concept, the, the, the words either got silence or booed. Just by the fact that we're talking about this as my tribe or the other tribe is problematic for me. Exactly. Right. This is this is systemic in that we that we're thinking so by you know um, what's the word I'm looking for here? That I these, have no these idea. Two, these two things. It's two. It's it's dyadic, right? It's dyadic. Two, thi- two things going against each other. Two separate, independent things, and not not a multitude. Not uh, you know what Annie's talking about the whole. The point of of thinking in percentages, we're not thinking in percentages. We're thinking very biopically. It's either this or it's that. It is black or it is white. There is no gray area in between. In reality, you know, the overused metaphor, we live in a gray world, right? And and the component that because somebody is is supposedly with us or in our tribe, doesn't mean that we don't have 90% of agreement on most other issues. And I think that gets missed. And I think what Annie's trying to do, which I commend her for, and I commend people who are trying to do this, is to get away from that, to get away from this component of, yes, you are either with me or against me. And if you're not with me, you're against me. As opposed to, we don't share the same political view 
However, you're tremendous at sautéing trout. Right. And we should talk about that. Because I want to get better at sautéing trout, and <laughs> right. you're the, the expert I need to go to. Or right. we, we like the same football team, or we, we both enjoy behavioral science, or whatever that would be. We have a lot more in common than we have differences, at least you know, for listeners in the United States, I believe that very true. I think in reality, I think for most listeners around the world as humans, and maybe this is, you know, putting some of the biases that I have on, on the world out there, but I think, again, for the most part, we have families that we love. We want to keep them safe. We want to give our children a better life than one that we had. We want to make sure that... Um, things are fair. And it goes into a bunch of Jonathan Haidt's work, right? Uh, you the... come from a weird tribe, by the way. <laughs> and that, that, none of that really appeals to me. <laughs> no. But of course... Yeah, of you... course it does, right? I these are these are These are universals, right? right. Yeah. And, and yet we tend to focus in on the differences. Yeah. It reminds me... <laughs> that, Real weird segue here. It reminds me of when we do work around organizations and sales forces, and they have a base pay and an incentive pay. Are you thinking about a particular client that we were working with? I'm together just. Recently? I'm actually thinking about multiple clients <laughs> I've worked with, but one could come up. But where eighty percent of a salesperson's pay is on their base pay, mm-hmm. um, and only twenty percent is at risk or variable. And yet, where is 90% of their effort focused and their angst and their concern? On that 20%. On the 20%. As if that were the entire universe that mattered. Exactly. When when you're looking at that totality of their pay, the vast majority of that is is already, it's it's base pay. And there are certain things that you need to do in order to, to keep that and to do that, but no, they focus in on the unfairness or their perception of unfairness of that 20%. Right. Um, and again, bringing that analogy back, it's, it's you know, 80% of, of us as humans, our joys, our fears, our hopes overlap with everybody else. My opinion, mm-hmm. no validated research to do that. And it's this 20%, I would even say it's 90%. You know, and we have ten percent difference. I'd give you a seventy percent chance that that's correct. All right, so let's talk. <laughs> uh, let's go there because we're talking thinking probabilistically. And she talked about her fun story about the the waiter. The waiter. Yeah. I am so happy I found out what happened because <laughs> I was just sitting there. I had read the book. I had heard her in other podcasts, and I never knew if she got that order right. Yes, she did. She did. She did. That was that was a conquest. That was a conquest. Yeah, that was good stuff. But we, I mean, since since we read the book, since we were prepping for this, we've started this whole talking and probabilities, and it makes a lot of sense. It does. It actually it resonates with with me in especially the work environment and thinking about um, a whole variety of things in my life. It right. has tremendous applicability to think in percentages rather than thinking in this this black or white. Right. And I, the interesting part, and I think this was a really good part of the conversation we had with Annie, was this element of how easy it us easy it is for us to, because we see, oh, we even might believe in our heads to begin with, oh, that's really a 70% chance, but then it automatically transfers into, all right, well, that's the way it's going to be. 
because 70% or 60%, right? And we talked about the polling uh, numbers for the last election and how quickly people said, well, it's a 70% chance. That means, of course, Hillary's going to win. And we do that. We we tend to, as, as Annie was saying, you know, anytime that all of a sudden you get above that 50% piece and into the 60s, it's like this automatic switch it is it's a naturally switch, switch yeah. to says oh well then that's going to that's happen. going to happen yeah and that, in reality i mean protect you know 60 40 that's an awful lot of not happenings to right. the happenings right so so it's hard for us to overcome that but the more that we can talk in those probabilistic terms and and thinking in that way i think the better we are at being able to a perceive the alternative viewpoint, because now that alternative viewpoint is, as we talked about, it's not it's not attacking our self-identity. It's not saying that you're wrong. It's saying, here's a different viewpoint, and now I can adjust my 80% probability or my 87% probability that people are going to love this, right, <laughs> our most engaging one. And I might say, yeah, that, that goes either up or down based on that input. So this leads to uh, leads my brain to her right versus accurate comment, <sighs> right? And uh, do you remember that quote, Kurt, of, of, of what she said about right versus accurate? Right does not equal accurate. I really want to make the point that right and accurate are different. And what we are trying to do is to get to accurate, not right. Yeah, and yet right is the easy answer. I mean, that's this is a system one kind of a thing, right? The, the easy answer or the easy question for us to answer is, is am I right? Mm-hmm. It's a much more difficult question to answer is am I accurate or to what degree am I accurate? That's a more difficult question. That takes reflective thinking. Right? That's much harder. And our brains naturally go toward the how can I how can I take this situation and really answer it in an easier way? Well, because we we when we're right, we get all those rewards, right? We get that satisfaction of of feeling like, yeah. yes, I am smart. Uh you know, I was correct in my thinking. I get a little dopamine I, surge. You get a little dopamine surge. You get all of these yeah. factors that come in, and particularly when that gets, you know, confounded or, or uh, added to this social kind of reinforcement of I am right within my tribe. Yeah. You get a double whammy of that, and I think it's really which, which is the the people who I want to be respected by, right? The tribe who's going to protect me if things go bad. When that happens, now I get this super double reinforcement. You get the super double secret reinforcement. <laughs> but yes, no, I'm. We're 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 well, laughing about yes that. Yes or no? You just <laughs> we're laughing about that. But that is indeed what happens, right? We we tend to go for what's right because we get those psychological rewards from being right. When we actually get to try to find out if we're accurate. It can actually be painful. There's a loss aversion component right. of that, right? This belief that I held actually f- felt in my gut or my heart or in my head, wherever it was that you feel that now is proven to be inaccurate. Not, not right. Then well, part of my identity is with that. And so that hurts. So so instead of instead of framing it in our own mind as I wasn't right, we could say, well, 
my prediction wasn't as accurate as I thought it was. Yeah, and that's the probabilistic thinking part, yeah. that thinking in bets, that thinking in percentages. And I loved her component of saying, just ask the person to put to wager on it. Oh, and, oh and, yeah. and how that changes in their mindset. And want to bet. You want to bet, yeah. right? Because when we do that, we automatically change the reward that is coming. So it's not just this psychological reward of being right. Now there is a monetary or an extrinsic component that is added to the intrinsic reward that we get. There is a there's an extrinsic reward. And that can sometimes I think have a big influence on actually how we think about these things. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well in our work with extrinsic, right? We know that intrinsic rewards just in business, are very, very powerful. Very. But we also know that extrinsic rewards are also very powerful. And sometimes you need extrinsic rewards, at least some of the research I've done, to jumpstart the intrinsic motivation. The extrinsic works as a catalyst. As a catalyst. I think in this, that extrinsic reward of having a bet on there, right? The loss aversion of potentially losing that money, the potential gain of gaining some money, that extrinsic component is that catalyst. I saw this in uh, some of the work that I did on goal setting, where uh, individuals who were uh, below quota and uh, had been in sales contests uh, consistently over the years where they couldn't earn unless they got to quota. Right. But they were consistent performers, just not stars. Okay. Right? They're kind of below the middle. The core, as, as Ahern had as said. As Mike Ahern would talk about. And when they had an opportunity to simply compete against themselves and not against the rest of the sales organization and to select a goal that was above and beyond what they had ever done, and they achieved that and they earned, even though it was still below quota, it built up self-confidence it reframed who they are mm -hmm. and uh, allowed them to actually gain ability so that now their baseline, their run rate increased okay. from where they were before, in part because uh, you use this extrinsic reward as a catalyst to get that, that intr intrinsic um, uh, support and confirmation of confidence and risk-taking. Like, I can do it. I can do it becomes more apparent at that so point. So in this situation that thinking in bets or taking, do you want to bet on this, can be that catalyst to actually reframe how somebody thinks about things in general because they're getting the positive reinforcement from that and seeing actually how that works and hopefully getting understanding that that more accurate view of the world lends itself to long-term success, right? And Annie was talking about, look, on the, in the poker, on the poker table, I don't want to be right. I want to be accurate because yeah. the more accurate I am, that means I'm going to have success in the long run, right? And just because I, you know, I did all the wrong things, but I, I, I got the right, you know, flip at the end and I won, it's that resulting component, which again is a whole nother component yeah. that, we didn't really get into a lot, but Annie talks a lot about in her book about that component of how we we tend to view how good our decision making process is based on the, the result. result. Yeah. And what she was saying is that that's a faulty way of actually thinking about it. It's and inadequate. It, it's inadequate. If you have a number of, of, of chances, right, over and over and over and over again, that might have more validity. However, 
most of our, many of our decisions are not these things that we get multiple chances to, to really look at, review, and go over. And so the fact that we are looking at results impedes how much information we can gain from the actual decision-making process to determine was it a good decision-making process or a bad decision-making exactly. process. Exactly. Yeah. So... Oh, I want to talk about meetups before we stop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this, this I ties think, into that. Yeah. yeah so this, this whole thinking on, on having this learning pod component, which, again, I think is mm, fantastic is in, in getting those people who can be the Galileo, right? And in point the room with In us. the room to you. And you're talking about these things, and you're actually discussing these things with a contract that she talks about of saying... Our, our, our contract with each other isn't this normal social contract of reinforcing, you, you making sure you feel good. This isn't going to be a love fest. Right. This isn't that. That this is a contract that we have with each other to point out the accuracy of our beliefs and our actions and understanding that they're going to hold a, a mirror up to us. And that mirror sometimes is going to reflect things back that we may not want to see. But because we have made a contract, that's okay. And then you get rewarded for doing those positive things and saying, thinking in ways that are positive about that. So this is like an accountability meetup. It's an accountability meetup. And so we started Behavioral Grooves as a meetup to gather people together around um, talking about behavioral science and applying that to work and life. And we have had a fantastic component uh, around that. I think there is a cool opportunity to start using meetups or such because i think it's hard yeah. to to you know ask people who are your friends or people that you're interacting with it may not be for everybody but for myself i know that would be something that might be a little bit difficult i could probably ask you cuz you do it regardless um, <laughs> well and <laughs> and you as well. well there you go you, you know you, we you, just hold each other accountable we do yes. we do but i think but the, that, but, the, but, our, but our relationship is not common in that way right. and especially with the, the the folks on our block or or close family members it would be it, it, Although it does happen to some degree with, for instance, my own siblings, right. there is an element of accountability. The, their primary uh, role in my life is to love and support me. Right. On, you know, on, give me the happy thumbs up. It, it reminds me, so when I was doing my dissertation, I, um, as part of this, I had asked my wife um, to be basically an accountability coach for me. And I was all, yep, you know, I need you to do this. I need you to hold me accountable so that I write my dissertation, you know, every week and that I do the page number that I want. And I was all great. You know, this is going to be awesome. And she it's, said, it's a good choice because Aaron's got the chops to do that. But she said, no. <gasps> oh, she said, no, because she said, if I do that, then I become the nagging wife. And I don't want to be the nagging wife. Yeah. I can be your cheerleader. I can be that support person that, again, loves you yeah. and encourages you on. But sometimes I don't think you can... We, we forget about that, right? Because even within these groups, even though we have a contract, sometimes those those boil over and we might not be able to disassociate, oh, they were telling me this in this, but now it's this regular thing. Right. So right. we may not want our best friends or our family members in this. Thus, a meetup 
to actually just have this accountability group could be a great way of doing that. And I think it's something that we we might be exploring. It might be our next thing beyond Nudge Fest. I think Fest. we should. I think we should. Beyond yes. Nudge Fest. Beyond. Beyond the Nudge, nudge Fest. Fest. <laughs> Nudge-a-rama. Nudge-a-thon. Right. Yeah. So what else? I, I uh, You know, Lila was oh, a big part of Lila. this conversation, oh and God. I loved her. Just the respect and awe. I mean, it was it was to a certain degree awe that she had uh, about Whoa. this this you know woman who changed the trajectory of her life in some ways. Oh yeah, in Annie's life, yeah, right. yeah. But Lila is a monument to. Right. Uh, I mean, she's the one that came up with this syntactic bootstrapping yeah. idea. This idea that that we have a a language machine. Uh, you know, at, at, at birth is yeah. remarkable. It's yeah. absolutely remarkable. That's some interesting components. And, and um, the the fact that we didn't go down the rabbit hole around fucking the... Uh, but in it's the, so cool. In the dictionary, I think was probably my, my only regret of the whole thing. But now we can, so, we can dig on it right now. So, so. Lila, so I... I, I um, I think I mentioned, and I'd heard about Lila six or seven years ago. Right, and it was all about this learning machine, this right. idea that you know kids have have syntax and they get it, and pauses make a difference. And I was completely fascinated by this idea because this helps inform the nature versus nurture. Thing, right, right, that there is a a very powerful part of nature when it comes to learning a language. Right. Um, only later did I discover that as a graduate student, she gets assigned to work on. Guess what? The dictionary. Okay. This is her assignment, and she's working on it, and she's 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 getting all these words, and she has to spell them and define them, and she has to decide what's in and what's not. And so she comes across the word "fuck" because <laughs> it's it was one of the words that comes up in the list, and she's looking at it, and she was the one that wrote down the definition and said, "Yeah, that should be in the dictionary." <laughs> I think that that's. So we've got we've got linguistic graduate students making decisions on what's going you know it's what's not, going into it's the, not the dictionary or not yeah it's not the white bearded you know godlike uh, dudes you know uh, right. that are making these decisions it's people like Lilo and she's in grad school I know. about the fact that in the 1960s and so you got to yes. think that was pretty controversial <laughs> at that time. And so yeah. just the, the, the wherewithal to, to pull that off and to do it as a, as a young grad student kind of yeah. foretells, I think, a lot of the rest her, of her yeah, life. Yeah, the rest right? of her story. <laughs> Big brass balls. <laughs> exactly. You know? yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, Absolutely. And again, I think we need to get her on, the, on, on one of our podcasts if it, we can. Yeah, or, or be, with Annie good. even. Yeah, with Annie would be fantastic. Which could be fun. All right. Um, anything else before we get into uh, the the inevitable music conversation? <laughs> no, no. I, I I think that those are the those are the key topics that I wanted to groove on. All right. So I I, I am actually excited about this music conversation because I'm <laughs> I'm leading this at this point. So so one so. of the interesting things that I thought about this conversation was that Annie talked about you know that she she needs to get in and immerse herself in the music yeah. right it's not this casual piece she doesn't listen to music when she's writing because it's not then it's this distraction for her and you have the same kind of yeah. of of response to that i i remember uh, being very young ten, with uh, 
listening to my parents have a conversation with a, an adult friend, a woman who seemed very old to me at the time. She was probably in her 50s or something <laughs> That's you know, old. decrepit like that. <laughs> and she says, oh, you know, I, I, sometimes I just love to meditate with just soothing strings in the background. And I thought that is insane. Like meditation and string music, like, you know, music itself is just so engaging. There'd be no way that I could do something as what I would believe to be at at a very young age, you know, something soothing as meditate while I'm listening to music. That just, that was impossible for me to connect. Interesting, because I am exactly the opposite. I, I will put on music to set a mood and to do variety of different things. And I can have the music in the background. If it's music, it's not, again, I will, I will say that there's different types of music and some yeah. music is, is less likely to have that uh, any, background effect. And different acknowledge things. that as yeah. well, right? There were some, yeah. I mean, if particularly if they're great lyricists and, and you're listening and there's a story and then it engages me more, but I mean, definitely music without, you know, a singer involved, even music with a lyricist and singing involved, if it kind of melds into that background, I find that wow. to be this element that kind of sets me into a mood that then I'm able to actually concentrate more on the work that I'm doing. How do you do that? I, Honestly, how how can your brain it, just... See, this is wow. interesting how, how you know, you're not in my tribe. I, I don't know if I can trust <laughs> anything... I have this great recipe for sautéed fish. You know, I just don't believe it. I think I think it's a piece of crap. <laughs> anyway. It is interesting, though, isn't it? It is. And, and then the other thing, so you talked about Alex Shilton. And so the only reason I even knew who Alex Shilton was was the replacement song. Oh, Dude, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Which I remember when I, I got that in, in college and I was listening to it, I actually went out before the days of Google, right? And I tried to search who Alex Chilton was. Really? Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I just, he was some 70s, you know, pop star. That was that yeah. what I got out yeah. of that. But and, long before Big Star. Well, that was know. Big Star. Yeah. yeah. So it, was he, long before all that. He was when it was with the box tops. Yeah. See, I, so. I didn't get that in my pre-Google days. So. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, once again, I think we've come to the end of a, just a invigorating uh, discussion and uh, the interview with Annie was just so much fun. It was fun. And thank you, Annie, um, for, for doing that. We really appreciate it. And for our listeners, please, if you found this interesting, if it wasn't too long, um, but you found it interesting, please share this with a friend. It'll get me to my 60% so I can win the bet with Tim. You're not going to win that Yeah, bet. I'm going to win that bet. And then uh, <laughs> even if if I don't get to that, um, share this because we think that uh, the more people that are able to listen to, to this, the, the better off the world will be. Let's expand our tribe. We're going to expand the tribe to the entire yes. uh, tribe of the, of the planet. How about that? I love that idea. Okay. And so with that, thank you for listening. Have a great day.